Today is October 31st, 2018, and this is the debut episode of the Recovering Hypocrite podcast. I'm your host, Noel Jesse Hakenin, uh, Chief Recovering Hypocrite around these parts. And the reason we are launching this podcast today on October 31st is today is the 501 year anniversary of Martin Luther launching inexplicably the Protestant Reformation by taking 95 beefs that he had with the church and nailing them to the door of Castle Church in Wittenberg, Germany, and a technological accelerator of the time called the printing press took this gospel of grace and spread it around the world uh, to the point that even on my iPhone today, I'm still reading Martin Luther sermons that he wrote 500 years ago. And so I thought it'd be a great day to launch a podcast to use this particular technological accelerator to try to talk about the same Grace. And so before I get into the interview today, I want to give you a couple great Martin Luther quotes. Uh, the man was like the best insulter of his age and it really would have thrived in an era of Twitter. And I was, I was pulling together some of the great insults of Martin Luther. I actually had to avoid a couple of my favorite ones because I didn't want an explicit rating on my very first episode of the podcast. And so I decided uh, not to use some of them, but he did have some colorful language. Here are a few things uh, that Martin Luther said, some insults in honor of the 501-year anniversary of the Protestant Reformation. He said this, I despise your whorish impudence. You wear a pair of cobweb trousers, like a man who, being naked, put on a new to hide his shame. <laughs> he said uh, this, he said, um, you are like a herd of swine being invited to the table of a prince. You understand not such an honor, but only ravage what is set before you, even soiling uh, the prince. And by the way, he said that to a bunch of pastors, that he was must have been teaching at a pastor's conference or something like that. And uh, that's it. I just, I'm not going to read anymore because these all have one of his favorite profanities in them. But anyway... Today is the launch of the uh, Recovering Hypocrite podcast. Glad to have you with us. If you didn't have an opportunity to listen to the uh, very short preview episode I threw out a couple days ago, uh, please check that out because that'll give you an idea of why I'm doing this thing. But the bottom line is uh, this podcast is all about the relentless grace of God that is directed at jacked up sinners uh, like yours truly. And uh, I'm going to invite onto this podcast some friends um, and I just to talk to them about this idea of grace and, and the whole recovering aspect of our sanctification. And so uh, without further ado, I'm going to get into the podcast by uh, bringing on my friend Harvey Turner. So I'm thrilled today on the Recovering Hypocrite podcast to have with me Harvey Turner. Uh, Harvey is a pastor at Livingstone's Church in Reno, um, an Acts 29 church out there, also the author of Friend of Sinners, which, by the way, Harvey, I got to tell you, I was uh, meeting with my pastors this week, the, all the pastors at our church, and I mentioned one of them, yeah, I'm talking to Harvey Turner this week about, uh, he's going to be on my podcast, and he said, Harvey Turner, the guy who wrote the evangelism book? And, and, and I was like, I didn't even tell the guys about the book, but they loved your book, man. Yeah, thank you. I, I tried to keep it short and write it for just the average guy in the church, average girl in the church that's just trying to share Christ. So 
Well, I'm, I'm sure we'll get into it a little bit today because uh, the idea of friend of sinners, uh, it really, in, in a way, it's a normal way of doing evangelism that uh, just exudes a lot of grace. And so really this whole idea is just fantastic to me. So, um, so the reason I thought of you uh, to be my very first guest on this podcast uh, is because this sucker is launching on Reformation Day uh, on October 31st. And you and I were acquaintances, I'd say. That's a fair statement. And we were in Berlin, Germany at a pastor's conference with Acts 29. And uh, we were having a conversation about uh, the law and gospel and all that sort of thing. And you all of a sudden said, hey, do you want to go to Wittenberg? And I was like, yes, I do. I mean, it's, it was like one of those few moments in my life where I didn't clear something with my wife that she was going to be involved with. <laughs> and I, I told her, I said, hey, hey, we're going to Wittenberg with Harvey uh, and his wife tomorrow. And she said, oh, well, first of all, who's Harvey? Um, and second of all, what's Wittenberg? And so uh, and we bonded that day over Martin Luther. Yeah, you're one of the people that I've met in my life that nerds out over Luther as much as I do. And uh, they, they have like a Luther gift shop there. And I went into that place and I, I'm not a Christian bookstore guy, but a Luther gift shop. Yeah, I was all over it. I was oh, yeah. buying all kinds of trinkets and stickers and cups, and it was weird. My wife was just shaking her head. You know. For those of you who are not indoctrinated with Luther the way we are, uh, Wittenberg is really the birthplace of the Protestant Reformation. It's where that, that crazy monkin professor by the name of Martin Luther just uh, tried to prompt a conversation with his fellow uh, profs um, really about uh, about some very big concerns he had with the church. And uh, you, you look at that, and the, th the technological accelerator of the time uh, wasn't podcasts, it was the printing press, and somebody got a hold of his his theses and just sent them around the world, and, and that's that. Yeah, it's uh, Luther's, Luther's my guy, man. I, I just appreciate him. Yeah, he's uh, when I read his stuff, I'm like, yeah, I want to hang out with this guy. Yeah, so what is it? So um, you and I, we're both uh, X29 pastors. We're both involved with X29, and we might be two of the most Lutheran uh, Calvinists uh, in in this network. But what is it about Luther that really draws you in, and what is it about his theology that really grabs a hold of you? So I think there's probably two things. That, uh, one is his low anthropology. Um, he talks about that in... Um, his book, what is it, The Bondage of the Will, and then um, he, and then his confidence in God's grace to save, and really that's what uh, drove his message. If you read his, my favorite work of his is his commentary on Galatians, and I think I've read it three or four times. I, can, I read it devotionally every couple of years just because it just makes my soul sing, and really what you see there is his, his just conviction about how much we are in need of God's salvation. So that's the low, low anthropology, that we are sinners desperately in need of God's salvation. And then his confidence that God is a God of mercy and forgiveness that comes to us in grace. And uh, being a sinner myself, I really appreciate that. <laughs> now, there, now, some people listening right now may be new to that term, low anthropology, but I do think it is, in a sense, it's not just core to... Luther's theology, um, but it um, it really shows the need for grace, and it's it's the idea that I think that draws both you and I in in really pastoring normal people. 
So walk through what it means to have a low anthropology. So low anthropology, anthropology being the doctrine of man and just saying that while we believe that humans are created in the image of God, that that image has been deeply broken. And the way in which God reveals uh, that brokenness to us is through His law. And, he, and he, so he, in His law, He shows us how holy He is and how unholy we are and the distance between those two points. And He doesn't do that to beat us down or beat us up. He does that to show us our need for His grace. And once we understand how unholy we are through the law, uh, low anthropology, we then are in a position to receive His grace the way that we need to receive it. And uh, so that's, that's basically, that's the gist. That's the nutshell version. So how does this, in your mind, again, you wrote this book, um, Friend of Sinners, uh, which is a great book on, nor- it's, it's basically, it, for me, it's like evangelism for the normal person. It's like you don't have to be a weirdo to be an evangelist, uh, to show the gospel to people. Um, and just loved the book. And how do you think about low anthropology and law and grace when it comes to how you share your faith with somebody who is uh, far from Christ, who just has not even considered um, the, the claims of Jesus? Uh, they have a very caricatured view of what church and Christianity is. How do you get into that space understanding their low anthropology? Well, I think it, it, it changes a lot of things. It changes the motivations. It changes the way that you approach people. If you understand that you are a sinner in need of grace, that not just you were a sinner before you came to Christ, but that you, right now, you are in need of grace uh, today, that changes the way that you approach somebody who is a sinner that hasn't come to God's grace. And so you don't look down on them. You look at them as somebody who is in need of the same grace that you are currently uh, receiving, currently uh, getting from God each day and then of course you received at the moment uh, you believed and in Christ and what he did uh, so that it affects that part of it it also affects um, uh, the way in which you do the actual evangelism uh, you can identify with another sinner you can identify with what they're struggling with what they're going through you can talk about your own doubts you can talk about your own sins and um, because you're not you're not having to pose anymore. You're not having you you are admitting, yeah, I am just as much in need of the grace as you are. I'm not giving you this message because I've figured life out and you need to hear what I have to say about life. I'm giving you this message because I'm somebody who has uh, who is in need of the same grace, and I'm just proclaiming to you what what I found in Christ. You know, kind of, I think it was Luther who said something to the effect of, you know. That were, that were beggars telling other beggars about where to find bread. And, uh, and that's, that's a great way to think about evangelism. Yeah, in fact, that was even his dying words. Uh, some people think he scrawled on a piece of paper. I don't know if he did or not. Was, um, we are beggars, all of us, or something like that. I mean, even it was just even to his deathbed, it was what Luther was declaring. That's what he's saying. Kind of like Paul in Second Timothy, you know, that he's saying, I'm the chief of sinners. Luther's saying, we're all beggars. He's not saying, man, you know, I've really, I, I can't wait to get all my rewards in heaven. I've, I've done a great job here on earth. He's saying, man, I am, I, I recognize that it's been all of grace all the way. Well, even this idea of uh, being a recovering hypocrite, it's, uh, this podcast is called the Recovering Hypocrite Podcast. And the reason is I've used that term for a long time. 
uh, for myself because I understand that hypocrisy was the it was the sin that I had mastered in my teenage years and uh, going into my college years. And then um, I, I'm just acutely aware that lurking underneath the surface uh, is always this hypocrisy. And, I, and, and, and your sin may be different than mine and everybody's may have these different sins, but I think that our, our sins lurk like that, at, like a, a, an alcoholic never refers to themselves as a recovered alcoholic or someone who used to struggle. Um, but even after 30 years, they say, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And I think um, that's what I'm trying to get at with that phrase. And it's what, I, I, like you said, it's what the Apostle Paul said. It's what Martin Luther said. It's this, uh, what is it that uh, Luther said? He said, the more godly the man, the more doth he feel the battle. Like the, the, the more that God reveals who he is to you and what his law is and how far you've fallen short from his law, the more he does that, the more you say, oh man, <laughs> I, I, I need a savior. Yeah, and, they, and then the more you worship Christ as savior, the more you love him as savior, the more you enjoy him as savior. Um, if you have any idea of your own self-sufficiency, that, you know, a, lot, a lot of times I think people at the moment of conversion, if you will, will say, you know, I need Christ. And then they get down the road in their walk and they're like, no, I kind of got this now. And that's not my understanding of how this is supposed to work. It's, it's what you're saying. I'm, I am just as much in need of grace 20 years down the road as I am uh, the first day I came to Him. I'm recovering uh, from these sins uh, today uh, and I'll be recovering from these sins if God tarries 20 years from now. So. You know, it's, it's interesting if you think about it. The, the Apostle Paul there in the first century, and then you fast forward 1,500 years to Luther, and then 500 years from now, we're, we've always dealt with those same common sins and common temptations. And and I guess, I guess this would be the difference. High anthropology for me would be Instagram, where everything is curated and made as perfect as possible, and you know where I'm going. Low anthropology is Snapchat. Um, it's the idea that I, 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 I can't edit this. All I can do is put some bunny ears on myself. And, but the, the idea that um, low anthropology shows you who you actually are, um, that you really truly are a, a sinner. And um, even just when I was forming this idea of this podcast, even the idea of a recovering hypocrite, it's really, it, it's a recognition that in my life, hypocrisy is that sin that I had mastered so well as a high school student, as a teenager, as a college student, and that I know that just under the surface at any point, that hypocrisy could rear its ugly head. And like an alcoholic will say, hey, I'm not a recovered alcoholic. I, I, I don't have this mastered. I'm a recovering alcoholic, even if I've been dry and sober for 30 years. I know that I'm a recovering hypocrite. And it just lurks underneath the surface, and that's that's a low anthropology. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, and the, the the hypocrisy thing, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. I'm, I'm preaching through the Sermon on the Mount right now, and one of the things that Jesus is addressing there is the hypocrisy of the, the Pharisees, and by that he's addressing all of our hypocrisy. And uh, the way in which he approaches that is by drilling down on God's law, showing us how powerful, how big God's law is, how much it reveals His holiness, so that we could become seekers after grace. And so this is just a pattern that continually comes throughout the Bible, and it really is what makes you adore Christ and want to walk with Him day after day is, is this understanding that you are 
continually in need of the Savior. Well, you know, even going back to Martin Luther in, his, in The Freedom of a Christian, this is what he wrote. He was talking about the law and grace. And he said, we ought to preach not only one of these words of God, but both. Uh, out of our treasure comes the old and the new, the voice of the law, as well as the word of grace. The voice of the law ought to be made known so that all might fear and know their sins, with the ultimate goal being repentance and betterment of life. But our preaching does not stop with the law. That would lead to wounding without binding up, striking down and not healing, killing and not making alive, driving down to hell and not bringing back up, humbling and not exalting. Therefore, we must also preach grace and the promise of forgiveness. This is the means by which faith is awakened and properly taught without this word of grace. The law, contrition, penitence, and everything else are done and taught in vain. Amen. Amen. Yeah, the, uh, you know, he talks there about the two words of God. So far on this podcast, we've talked a lot about the first word, the law. The, but then there's the word of the gospel, the word of grace, which centers around everything God has done to save us, all of his promises, uh, everything he's done to save us specifically in Christ. So it centers around Christ's person, Christ's work, and, um, and all the benefits that come to us through Christ's person and his work. So when we talk about the gospel, a lot of times people talk about, you know, um, living the gospel or being the gospel, and um, you can't really do that. Only Jesus could live the gospel. Only Jesus could be the gospel. He is, in essence, the gospel. His life, death, resurrection, ascension, return, all of that, that he, he is the gospel. So when we can keep those things distinct, then that also gives us calm in our, in our hearts and our souls to live the Christian life every day, that what secures me before God is what Christ has done, not what I do. Um, and so, yeah, the two words. Keep the two words in front of you and, and keep them distinct. Well, I mean, it, it makes me think, again, um, of that old Christian cliche that I'm, I'm, I've heard a million times, I've probably said too many times, but the idea that um, your life may be the only Bible that anyone, someone ever reads, and, and, and I get it, but you know, it always seems to imply to me, so you better get your crap together, you better have your life, you better be doing things well, and I wonder if, based on what you're just saying, the way that our lives can be the Bible that other people read is by us truly declaring and owning our sin and saying, I am a sinner. The Bible says, I, I cannot save myself. And, and in that sense, it becomes the Bible that people read. Absolutely. And then your, your life with its flaws and with its stumblings becomes the platform through which God proclaims His grace. And this is the way he's chosen to do it. This is, in fact, one way to look at it is that's the only option. The only option is for God to proclaim his grace through sinners because that's the way he's chosen to proclaim his grace. And so we might as well just make peace with that and be cool with it and stop trying to pose all the time and try to act like we have it together because we know we don't. And people can see through that anyway when, we, when we're posing. So it's interesting that you bring up posing because it, it's almost like we all know that what we want to see out of somebody else is that they don't pose. You know, we want we want the real them. We want the the unfiltered, non Instagram filtered, you know, version of who they are. Um, and yet we think that what everybody else wants out of us is a posture, is the posing. It's so true. Yeah. 
And, and that's what, you know, when we try to do evangelism that way, or we try to even, man, community, try to do community that way. It just, it, it breaks it down because everybody is, uh, you know, over in their corner, uh, putting forth an image and nobody's actually interfacing with who they really are. We're, we're all just interfacing with the images that we're presenting to each other. And man, if we could just be freed by grace and just go, all right, here I am, flaws and all, you know, it, it, the, the gospel frees us to do that. The, this this whole concept that we're talking about, Luther's uh, theology that he developed, which you know he developed Augustine's theology in a, in a Protestant sort of way, uh, he's is really it frees us to do that, and this is what God wants for us. He wants us to live in that in that kind of freedom, and this is what Jesus was calling out in the Pharisees. This is what the Apostle Paul is continually saying like it's 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 okay god has done it all you are justified you are you are standing right before him so it's okay to admit your flaws and the it's not just a an instagram like cultural impulse or the religious pulse impulses in us you know want to model uh, want to image for everybody so Exactly. And so I wonder if that statement is true. You are the only Bible that your friends will ever read, but the Bible, they need to see that what that Bible says is, I am messed up and so are you. And, and, and we are jacked up, wretched sinners that, uh, that Jesus loves. One of the things that uh, comes up in this conversation is uh, how the law works in the Christian life. So um, you know, do, do people talk about the three uses of the law? The first use of the law being instructional. The second use of the law being to show you sin and draw you to Christ. And the third use of the law to being to be kind of a guide or a map for the Christian life, a pathway for the Christian life. And the third use of the law, that idea actually comes from Calvin, and he has about a page and a half, from what I understand, in the in the Institutes that are they, where he talks about it. And there he he talks about the law whipping us into submission. And um, uh, Luther just didn't talk about the law in, in that way. He, he tended to talk about the, what, the, what Calvin called the third use of the law. Luther tended to talk more about going directly to Christ and following Christ. So what, what Calvin seems to be bringing back into, at least in my opinion, and who am I to say this, but He's he teams he's almost like he's bringing the judicial stuff back into the Christian life when that stuff's already been secured for us uh, through Christ, and and really the third use of the law, if you want to call it that, is more about the relational connection with Christ, following Him, listening to His voice. If you could look at the law as His voice, and He's He's leading you and instructing you as an older brother, and God the Father is is there for you as a, as a heavenly Father who's who's absolutely for you. And who's already accepted you as a son or daughter, the same way that you and I would accept our sons or daughters, we'd be absolutely for them. Um, that's more of the reality. That's the way that um, I, I understand uh, the, the whole concept of the third use of the law as a more of a relational reality than a judicial reality. And what happens is sometimes uh, people drag the judicial stuff into... Uh, the Christian life, and then they're thinking, man, I, I haven't been doing it, I haven't been keeping up with it, and usually they don't even go to the law with that stuff. They're like, 
I haven't been reading my Bible. That's the biggest thing I always get. I'm like, where in the Bible does it say you have to read your Bible? Like, where'd you even get that? Like, that's not in God's law. <laughs> Paul, uh, even to Timothy, his whole declaration that the, the law is useful when it is used lawfully um, is a remarkable statement because um, I, I don't know many um, guys who are just kind of are harping on the law and um, just kind of any kind of works-based theology that find that if in there. There's, I mean, he's like, th there's an if. There's a way to use the law in an unlawful manner. And that is, Paul says, to apply it to the righteous. So, and, and, and we are the righteous. I mean, we are positionally in Christ, seated in the heavenlies at the right hand of God the Father. He looks at us through Jesus. We are the righteous. Therefore, the law is not applied to us. And yet it is still so useful. I, I've said it before to, to uh, my congregation, even when we're preaching. For me, the law is two punches to the gut. Um, and the first punch to the gut in the law is I see myself in the law and I say, I, I cannot believe that I am like that. I am so different than God. And the second punch in the gut, um, and it's significant in our culture right now, is the idea of, oh, I didn't realize that was a sin. You know, I, there's and, and, and so it, both um, bring this revelation of how unlike God I am. The first is I'm like un, unlike God in my actions and proclivities and the second is i'm unlike god in my understanding of the world and it's just two punches in the gut and i think that's a useful use of the law it doesn't apply to me but it definitely tells me about god in the use of the law there's things that everybody believes are wrong or they might not call them sins but they these things are wrong you know like you, you might take a look at some of the things in our culture right now like the me too movement and uh, you can go so they, if you're talking with somebody that uh, maybe they don't accept the authority of the Bible, but they would say, you know, uh, some, this Me Too movement is good because what has been happening to women for so long is wrong, and then they, they have just, uh, that's, a, that's a law kind of statement. And so they can, they can accept the concept of right and wrong somewhere in there. So sometimes even where if you can't go straight to the Ten Commandments with somebody, you, they, they, they can accept the fact that there's right and wrong, and then you can always get them to admit that there's wrong in them that they can't control, and that they actually feel a little bit out of control with that. And so, of course, the, a lot of trust has to be built to get to those places with people. But. So in honor of uh, Martin Luther and Reformation Day, um, I thought it'd be cool to talk about evidences of God's grace in your life, like something in your life that you absolutely do not deserve, but you are glad that God has given to you right now. Do you have any examples of that? Yeah, there, there's a, a butcher less than a mile from my house. Uh, fresh meats from, you know, we're here in Nevada, but there's a, they get all their stuff locally and it is just the best stuff. And I feel like a kid going into a toy store or a candy store every time I go in there. And I'm getting to know the butcher, and you know, I just go in and I go, "Hey, what do you got today? What's new? What kind of things, you know, you got going on?" And he's always hooking me up with different things, and uh, so and so I bring it home and I grill it up and uh, break out a glass of scotch and and enjoy it to the glory of God. And and I definitely don't deserve it, but it's good, man. <laughs> Absolutely. For me, my evidence of grace, you, you talk about steak, I, I talk about beer. I mean, Founders has this new uh, curmudgeon better half beer that is, it's an old ale 
brewed with molasses and it's it's aged in maple syrup bourbon barrels and man most people down through history didn't get to live at a time where founders was making that and that is common grace i think right there Founders is an excellent brewery. Never had that one, but uh, you're right. We, uh, I, I bet it's it's pretty hard to find because it, it's a Michigan brewery, so it's on uh, tap here, and you can get it on bottles here. But it's, it goes by really fast. But it, even to quote Martin Luther, he says, "Whoever drinks beer is he is quick to sleep. Whoever sleeps long does not sin. Whoever does not sin enters heaven. Thus, let us drink beer." Amen. <laughs> yeah. Well, you have to believe in grace to have that kind of an approach to life. I suppose you do. Well, Harvey, thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast today. If people want to get a hold of your book, uh, Friend of Sinners, uh, I'm assuming they can do that on Amazon. Is that the best way? Amazon's probably the easiest, yeah. That's great. And I do encourage it, man, if you are um, a pastor and you want to train your people in evangelism, it's a great resource. If you're a Christian who just wants to... Tell your friends about Jesus more and not feel freaked out about it. Uh, This is a fantastic resource for you. I highly uh, encourage you to grab a copy of Harvey's book. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you.